I invite you now to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians once again. This morning's passage is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. And I will ask if you would please stand with me as I read God's word this morning. This is the word of the living God. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Amen. You may be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your glorious, life-giving word. Father, we thank you that you have given us the scriptures where we can turn and see you, see ourselves, and see our need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you will make him glorious to us this morning, that you will reveal our great need of our Savior and our Lord, that you will strengthen us, that you will build up your church and then you will use us for the advancement of the gospel so more will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we all will have hope, that we will know what true lasting love is, that we will be forgiven of our sin and that we will be purified for eternity. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The title of this morning, this morning, is Christians Walk Wisely. In these verses I just read, the Apostle Paul teaches us yet again that we Christians are to live a certain way. The whole of Christian living has a particular way about it. Its way is the path of Christ. Where Christ is, there the Christian is. There is no other way that Christians are to live. For the last three months, we have been immersed in a verse-by-verse emphasis of how important The Christian walk is. It can't be stressed enough. The Christian faith is not a single decision that someone makes and then lives however, wherever, doing whatever they want. That is not Christian. The Christian faith is a new life. A new life. Living. Sadly, there are those who go to church who have that concept of a decision only, and they consider themselves believers. But according to Scripture, God does not. For those that God has saved, He tells us not only how He saves us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone 
But God also tells us he saves us for a purpose. All in Christ Jesus are saved, we're told, right here in Ephesians in chapter 2, we're saved for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should live out these good works. To walk here is to live. And I told you before that this is not legalism. When we talk about living unto good works, that is not legalism. We do not do good works to be saved. That is also unchristian. We are saved for good works. If you are a follower of Christ today, you were saved by grace through faith and do good works in the name of Christ and for his glory. God determined this long before the foundation of the world. You are not saved just from judgment and now live for more of this world and what it has to offer you. Don't let anyone deceive you otherwise. That is not what it means to be saved. It is not just a ticket out of hell and into heaven. Paul has told us in Ephesians, all who are in Christ are saved to be holy and blameless before God in chapter 1. We are forgiven of our sin through Christ's accomplished work on the cross so that we become his witnesses on earth witnesses to his glorious standing witnesses to his awesome power to defeat sin and death at one time every believer every believer you sitting here in this sanctuary you were enslaved to the devil following him, seeking to satisfy the, ple- the passions of your flesh, to fulfill every desire of the body. Your mind was darkened. By nature, you were children of wrath. But God, in his great mercy, because he greatly loves you, He made you alive together with Christ. He gave you a new heart to believe Him and to love Him. He raised you up as a gift. You are His workmanship. You were separated from Christ. Now you're given the covenant of promise and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are now fellow citizens with other believers in God's eternal kingdom. You are sojourners in this world, traveling to a greater country, and you're members of the same household of God, loved by the Heavenly Father, who uses His almighty power and His pure goodness and his unfailing love, and his unrivaled glory 
to make you fit for his kingdom, fit for his presence. This new life of salvation that every believer has, that has being in the presence, the real presence of Christ as its goal, forever with him, and has such a wonderful and great standing now with God, it has a mission. It has a mission and a manner of it while we travel in this life. Paul told us in chapter 3 that he preaches the gospel of Christ in verse 9 to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. If you're part of the church, every member of Redeemer Church, your mission in life is to make known the many aspects of God's wisdom shown in this world. Your mission is not to make money. Your mission is not achieving personal honor. Your mission is pointing to God as the author and the finisher of all things. Paul then says he prays for the church. His prayer is that you will be strengthened with God's power, that Christ will dwell in your hearts, and you will comprehend all the fullness of Christ's love and you'll be filled with the fullness of God. Paul then ascribes glory to Christ in the church. He said all this because in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul now describes what the new life in Christ is like for the Christian. And together, as the church... Our glorious mission of making Christ known grounds how we now live. Paul then describes the life we live and he says it's a walk, a steady, active, purposeful, and committed life to Christ. One that's lived for Christ. And Paul is given different characteristics in this Christian life that's common to every believer's. These characteristics are not in a bowl where we close our eyes and put our hand in the bowl and randomly choose one of them what our life in Christ will be like. Nor are we given the option to pick up those characteristics that we like and to discard the characteristics we think just doesn't fit us. No, Paul has made it clear that every Christian, if you this morning are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will have all of these descriptions. He's already told us to have lives that are worthy, lives that are holy, that share God's love, 
that are lived in his light at all times. And now today, Paul adds a fifth description how the church is to live. Paul tells us that we are to be wise. This characteristic is so needed today. All these different descriptions are sides to the same shape of a Christian. If you were able to hold the Christian life in your hand, you would not have a bunch of individual descriptions scattered on your hand. You would have a multi-sided, a multi-sided sphere. Don't think of these traits of the Christian just merely as a list where you focus on each one, one at a time, and as you accomplish one or you become one, you go on to the next. No, think of these descriptions as a polyhedron. That's for you math lovers. It's a 3D polygon, like a sharp-edged ball that has all these different angles to it. And each angle is a description of the Christian life. Christians are all of these. And now we learn we are to walk purposefully. We are to live on mission wisely. God has prepared for you to live as a follower of Jesus in the way that he describes. You may say, but but pastor, my life is really, really hard. You really don't know what I went through this past week. I am miserable at times. Well, these traits of the Christian do not come with an on and off switch. They are not dependent on how well or how bad your week or your life goes. They are traits that equip us, that enable us to fulfill the purpose for which we are saved. And they are why we are still here on this earth today. Every Christian lives in the manner Christ tells us. So his gospel will go to the four corners of the world, to the very ends of the earth. The only proper and good response to the blood Jesus shed for you on the cross is to walk, is to live worthy, holy, loving in his light and now with his wisdom. Paul has constantly contrasted the life of the believer now with what it once was, showing us the true difference in the Christian life. Different from unbelievers, different from religious people, different from your old life. You are now different in Christ. You are His instruments. And we who are His we walk accordingly. In other words, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, 
We glorify God in our body. We belong to Jesus. We now live to the Lord. We don't keep making a practice of sinning. We have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. It is He who now lives in us. We now live in the flesh by faith in Christ who loves us and who gave himself up for us. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not our own. The psalmist tells us in 100 verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are his. The shepherd, he keeps us. The shepherd owns us. The shepherd feeds us. He defends us. He protects us. And now the shepherd tells us how we are to live. All of this is wrapped up in the words Paul uses at the very beginning of our passage, at the beginning of verse 15, when he says, Look carefully then how you walk. Paul then shares two commands with us that God gives to every believer, to every member of his household. From a new babe in Christ to the maturing, these commands are to every believer. We in the church are to make conscious decisions that are in line with Scripture. And if it means stripping away everything in our life or changing something about it, we are to simply do it. One of the commands given today flows from the other one. What God tells us first this morning, part of that sphere of the Christian life is to live wisely with our time. God makes Christians wise. And we're to use that wisdom in how we spend our time. The other command is to use this gift of wisdom to understand the will of the Lord. Now that sounds like a big undertaking, but it's not as complicated as it may sound. And it is a way we walk wisely as Christians. Putting it into summary for us, our passage this morning tells us simply, Christians are called to live wisely. To be wise means to live with knowledge and to use that knowledge in how you live. That knowledge leads you. That knowledge directs you. It enables you. You use this knowledge to determine what is true and false. You're able to judge what is important and what is not. So the question is, what knowledge does the Christian live with, and how do we use it? Do you know the answer to that? 
Well, this morning we will answer that question. This call to live in wisdom has two commands, like I said, and are the two sermon points for today. Here's how I phrase the commands. First, we are to harness the time. We are to harness the time. And second, we are to understand the Lord's will. We'll look at these one at a time, and hopefully this morning we'll become wiser as we walk the path of the Christian following our Lord and Savior. First, we are to harness the time. We are to utilize the time. We are not to waste time. We are to redeem the time. We are to use it for Christ. Starting in verse 15, look with me if you will. We're told, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And now verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Make best use of the days God gives you. This is the summation of how we in the church are to live. Make best use of the days God gives you. Putting all the characteristics of the Christian together, this is the connection. Be careful how you walk and make best use of your time. The Christian life of wisdom is different than your life was before. It's been transformed from before. Before Christ, your life was one of futility. You were ignorant and foolish, chasing after vices, giving in to all kinds of temptations, caught up in all kinds of sin. Now... By the grace of God in Christ, His wisdom is given to you. You've been given insight to the truth. You no longer live in darkness. You live exposing the darkness. You no longer live for yourself. You share the selfless love of Christ. You don't live in debauchery. You live in holiness. Before, you wasted time living for yourself. You missed opportunities for God's truth to be shared. You were careless with your time and you lived for the moment. Now in Christ, you live not for the moment, but for eternity. You know these days you're given are numbered that everything in this life has an end date. The word Paul uses here for making the best use of our time, Paul uses a single word. And that word means to redeem, to rescue from loss, to buy out of the hands of a captor and set free. Time used to have a tight hold on you where everything had to be now. 
You lived before Christ. You lived in the tyranny of now. You had to have gratification now. You wanted things now. Sin was enticing and pleasurable to you because it meant fulfillment now. Everything had to be fixed for you now. Good meant now. Comfort meant now. The immediate outweighed the eternal. But now in Christ, it all changes. Now in Christ, we who have been saved by grace, we live for eternity. The time in this life is no longer a captor, is no longer a tyrant for us. Time in this life is a tool. It's not a master. We use the time. We make the most of every opportunity. Thus the psalmist tells us in 90 verse 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. And then down in verse, 10, uh, verse 12 of the same psalm, says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You and I have been given a certain number of days on this earth. And what will Christ say to you when you stand before him at the end of your days? What will he say to you? Well done, good and faithful servant. You made good use of the time I gave you. You prepared well for eternity and you accomplished the mission I gave to my people that I gave for my gospel to touch every person I put you in touch with. And it's not left there. We're even told why we are to make the best use of our time. Paul describes the days we live in as evil. We are delivered from the evil today, but we are still in the midst of the evil. Think of the turmoil today. So many people are anxious about tomorrow. So many people are fearful of what's to come. And debauchery is not only celebrated, it's worshipped today. It's applauded and admired at such a high level that it's idolized, it's encouraged. And if we're honest, we all know what it's like to live like that. Whether folks admit it or not, it's a constant state of fear of the unknown. Folks work to the bone to build up protections and safety nets for this temporary life. Relationships and the human idea of love are always changing and we're fearful to lose it. Nothing is rock solid in this life. Now, most people don't see it this way. They're blind to it. But as children of the Lord, we've been given 
insight to this and we have the wisdom to see differently. However, Sinclair Ferguson points out people are more likely to think the days are harmless. But there is nothing harmless about an age that seems to regard leisure as an antidote to work, entertainment as antidote to boredom. Rather than purchasing treasure, we weaken our spiritual immune system as we breathe in the pollutants that are ultimately destroy time's value. End of quote. The Christian's eyes, though, the Christian's eyes have been opened to the truth. Light has shone on this dark reality. We in Christ, we've been given wisdom. We've been given the knowledge that the day draws near when all of this in this life will end. We are living, we say, in the last days. The conflict between good and evil is at hand. And we've been called as God's people in the church, we've been called to action. And we help one another live for Christ. As the Hebrews writer tells us in Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But how do we do that? We look at our time that God has given us And we devote it to two things. We devote our time to sanctification and proclamation. That is what we do with our time. Devoting time to what our own hearts need and committing to helping one another in knowing the gospel well. The only thing we all have an equal amount of is time. Everyone has 24 hours in a day. The difference is is how we use the time. We need to harness the time. We are proactive with it. We use the time as a tool for the glory of God. And the wise Christian will turn to the Scriptures for guidance with our time. Thus, Jeremiah 6.16 tells us, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. You see, the ancient paths tell us how we should use our time. And the good way tells us how to be efficient and productive with our time. And the whole time, we are finding rest for our souls. We are given the book of Proverbs that gives us wise sayings so we don't waste our time or sin will have the time we have. The Ecclesiastes writer tells us that it's all meaningless to spend time on temporal things. And ultimately, Scripture keeps Our focus as we dive into the scriptures, it keeps our focus 
on the time that really matters. The time of eternity. The time that does not end and the time that never changes. That is where Christ is and where we, His people, will be also. It is wise to harness the time. Next, with the wisdom we're given, we are to understand the Lord's will in verse 17. Look with me if you will. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Keep in mind here, there's so much more than personal guidance for your life here. We can have such a selfish, me-focused approach to even this important command. Understanding the Lord's will is not about how to make it further in this life, nor is it how to go up a rung in society and to fulfill the plans that you have for your life. Also know here the Lord's will is not His personal choice that drives His actions. We're not told here to figure out why God does everything. To understand that would make us God. And it's impossible to know why God does everything that He does. The command here is to understand God's revealed will of Christ. The will of Christ as it's explained to us in the Scriptures. There it is once again. To understand why Christ is so important to our lives and to understand life itself. To understand the need for Christ and why we live to proclaim His gospel and His glory. We don't need a mystical experience. We don't need a religious encounter to know God's will in Christ. We don't need to repeat mantras. We don't need to set the mood with music to stir our emotions. Nor do we need to give money to someone on TV or take a special class or go on some special retreat or a crusade or a rally. We find the will of Christ by taking the time to read and study Scripture. The wise person plans ahead and spends time in the Word of God. In the Bible, we learn Christ's purpose and His desire for the church. In Scripture, we gain insight to our own value in Christ and our assignment and our vocation for Christ. And as we read Scripture... And as we study Scripture, we learn not only more of Christ and what He wants of the church and the goals of our life, we gain wisdom for the life situations we're in and how to please the Lord in them. Remember back in verse 10, the church was told to discern what pleases the Lord. In order to do this, we must know what the Lord's will is 
and how we are to please Him in all the circumstances of our life. The Scriptures tell us what pleases Christ. He says, if you love me, what? If you love me, obey me. Say it together. If you love me, obey me. Amen. There's insight to his revealed will for the church. Obedience. Obey the commands he gives us. And you only know the commands he gives us if you're in the scriptures reading about his commands. Align our lives to his teachings and his glory. Notice here, Paul does not say understand God's will. He says understand the Lord's will. That's a subtle difference, but it has a huge distinction there. There is a Christological focus here. Colossians 1.9 tells us we need to have spiritual wisdom and understanding to have knowledge of His will. And the only way to have spiritual wisdom is for the Spirit of God to illumine you to more of Christ. And that happens in His Word. That's why we're told in Romans 12 too, we know God's will by being transformed by the renewal of our minds. We learn this by being in the Word of God. I'm sharing this truth with you only because I was in it this past week, which enables me now to share the truth with you. The Word of God plays such an important role for us in the church. As you search in God's Word, you find 1 Thessalonians 4.3, which says simply, this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is for you? 1 Thessalonians 4.3, your sanctification. In other words, to become more Christ-like in your life. Paul writes it this way in Romans 8, starting in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. The Lord's will for you this morning, the Lord's will for you every day of your life is to be conformed to his image. Do you understand that this morning? Are you being comforted by it this morning? Are you being conformed to the image of Christ? Are you seeking to glory the Father like Christ? Are you living on the path of Christ? Are you sharing His love? And part of the sanctification, this image conformity, we're told later in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we are to give thanks 
in all circumstances. That is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Oh boy, we need help with this one, don't we? Give thanks in all circumstances. That is the will that he's revealed to us. Giving thanks in all circumstances acknowledges that God is sovereign over all things. That means every aspect of your life, the good and the bad, that Christ saved you for more than this life. Giving thanks acknowledges that God is using all things for your eternal good and that your eternal good is more important than this earthly, temporary reality. Because you're being remade holy and blameless for Christ. Here's another one that drives it home for us. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is telling Timothy to share in suffering for Christ. Since we aim to please Christ, the same goal as what Paul says in Ephesians, that's the same goal that he's given us here in Ephesians, he tells Timothy. Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Share in suffering for Christ. Since we strive to please the Lord, we must be ready to suffer for the advancement of the gospel. And there in verse 7, Paul tells Timothy to think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. As we meditate, in other words, on God's word, we better understand divine wisdom, and it's nothing like the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world will tell you to avoid suffering, and that is not good. But God, in His infinite wisdom, says the readiness to suffer and enduring the suffering for Christ pleases God. So we seek understanding of the Lord's will by being in the Scriptures. As well as we do that, the more we are in the Scriptures, we will be transformed into the holy vessels we are to be. These two commands given to you and me this morning to harness the time and to understand the Lord's will are the answers to the question that I gave earlier. I asked, what knowledge does the Christian live with and how do we use it? That knowledge is Christ and His gospel. What He did on the cross for us, dying for sin and saving us from judgment and now conforming us to people who are like Him. And it happens the more that we are in His Word. This is walking in wisdom. Let's pray. Father, our prayer this morning is that we will walk in the wisdom of Christ. 
That we will be in the Word that You've given us more and more. That we will seek to understand the revealed will of the Lord. That we will obey His commands. That we will walk the path that He is on. That we will be conformed by the renewal of our minds. That we will become more Christ-like. And that we will let go of this world every part of it, and that we will bring glory to God in Christ Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.